Welcome to The Wonder, exploring perspectives, rituals, and observances of modern naturalistic, earth-revering, pagan religious paths. Here are your hosts, Yucca and Mark. Welcome back to The Wonder, science-based paganism. I'm your host, Yucca. And I'm Mark. And this week, we're talking about crystals, herbs, and other magical treasures. Right. Yeah, these are things that are very important in the practices of many pagans. We have a different take on what that means from maybe the mainstream pagan view. Mm -hmm. So we'll be talking about, but also about what we can do to create aesthetic objects and materials that help us to get into the right mind space to do effective ritual work mm-hmm. and and how we can best equip ourselves with all those kinds of things. Right. And also not just in the ritual space, but in our everyday mundane life and environments that we create. Sure, because they work as talismans. And we mm-hmm. did do a, an episode episode on talismans a long long time ago the they they you can carry an object with you or wear a piece of jewelry or anoint yourself with a particular scent any of those things and if it has a strong association for you it will remind you of that characteristic or quality and then you have that with you in your ordinary life and Mm -hmm. that can be really great really empowering and and supportive of success Right. So for a minute, let's let's just talk in the big picture about all of this. <laughs> what do we think about magic crystals? Oh, this will probably not be a surprise to our long-term listeners, but my take, and I'm guessing this is yours as well, Mark, is that they aren't inherently magical. They don't have super special powers. They're not supernatural. They're natural, just like everything else. Some of them are really cool. Some Mm -hmm. of them are beautiful. Their stories are amazing in terms of how they were made and the interaction between the biosphere and the geosphere and all of that is just incredible. But there's a lot of big claims about crystals that I don't buy. Yeah, me neither. They're Although we might aesthetically appreciate a quartz crystal more than we aesthetically appreciate a lump of granite, Mm -hmm. there's no special quality that makes the crystal any more special than the lump of granite. The lump of granite has an amazing story behind it too. Yeah. But that being said, and we're going to talk about the provenance of these things in a while. Presuming that you have something that was was brought to you in an ethical manner, there's nothing wrong with having beautiful stones on your on your focus, your altar, mm-hmm. or you know, carrying it with A you. Piece of jewelry. Piece of jewelry. Or, mm-hmm. One thing that I will tell you though not to do, which is something that I saw a photo of on the internet that really terrified me. Someone had taken a whole whole bunch of sacred stones and crystals mm-hmm. and had hot glued them to the center of their steering wheel. Oh yes. Don't do that. <laughs> where their airbag is. Uh, yes. I've which, seen 
people do that with their dashboards too, but the airbag is even worse. Yeah. I mean, that turns the thing into a Claymore mine. It's just, it's terrifying to think about the damage that that airbag would do if it deployed. So don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to a lesser degree, that's, that's why I, when I did have long hair, I haven't in years, but I never liked using like the chopsticks or the clippies or anything like that, because I always thought, oh, what if I fall backwards? But an airbag, <laughs> that's a lot more intense. Yes. Oof. I have been on the receiving end of a face full of airbag. Mm. And I was really glad it was there, yep. but it happens very, very fast and it hits you hard. So please don't put anything hard yeah. between you and it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a <laughs> kind so, of a special case. <laughs> Let's but, see. Use and common sense. Yes. Assuming that the the stones that you have are and the gems that you have are not mined in a way that is with slave labor and all of that and that they're not that it came to you in an ethical way that great right which is a steeper standard than you might expect yeah mineral specimens and particularly crystal specimens are mined in extremely environmentally destructive and unsustainable ways often by people living in slave-like or in, in truly in enslaved literal, conditions, yeah. including children mm -hmm. in many places in the world, many places in South America, for example, Brazil, places in Asia as well. South and Africa. There, and South yeah. Africa, there are, they're beautiful stones and it's lovely to have them. But to be honest, my take is if I didn't find it myself, I'm not going to buy it. Mm -hmm. I, at this point, I will buy fossils if they have good provenance. But when it comes to just mineral specimens, I just don't do it anymore. I have a few that I acquired over the years and that's enough. Yeah. So this is something that, that if you really enjoy crystals that we would encourage you to, to look into and do some research on, mm -hmm. because there certainly are ways to, to acquire them that aren't based on those things that we just talked about, but it's really, but it's, if you're just getting a random one, it's really hard to know what that history is. And there's That's a good chance right. that it, that it really does come is supporting this system that is so exploitative right. on just every level. And you just don't want to be part of increasing the suffering in the world, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty simple standard. It's like, there's enough of that already. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't make things worse. It's, yeah. it's, it's not too much to ask. That said, getting a, a good provenance mineral specimen from an ethical source also lets you know that the mineral itself hasn't been monkeyed with. Because one thing that happens in mineral specimens a lot is that they get cooked Mm -hmm. They're heated to high temperatures to change their colors. Mm -hmm. And so you may not even be sure exactly what you're getting. This happens with quartz a lot. There are lots of different colors of quartz because of trace elements that are included in the quartz mm -hmm. as the crystals form. But if you bake well, That's them, what a ruby is, right? It's just a, a little bit of um, chromium in it, isn't it? No, ruby is corundum, which is the second hardest naturally occurring mineral. Um, after diamond. Corundum is a, a mineral of its own. 
It's the same mineral as sapphire, rubies and sapphires. And then there's also what's called common corundum, which is used in making specialty sandpapers and things like that. This is, this is one where I learned this at my daddy, the geophysicist's knee. So yeah, corundum is number nine on the Mohs hardness scale. And then diamond is 10. But there are pink quartzes and, and even red quartzes that I, pink quartzes are natural. I've never seen a, a natural red quartz. It may exist, but I've, I've never seen one. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Just looking up just a real quick, it looks like that chromium is in, um, is in rubies. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure because Corundum, corundum is a particular molecular structure, mm -hmm. but then the color comes from whatever associated trace minerals. I would imagine that it's probably cobalt or copper that's the trace for sapphires. Yeah. Yeah, we'd have to look into that. Um, yeah, just little bits of, just a few little bits of different elements completely changes the the whole look of it that's the wonder of chemistry right yep <laughs> you take oxygen which is a colorless tasteless transparent gas and hydrogen which is a colorless odorless tasteless gas you bond them together and you get water which is <laughs> none of those things yeah so, okay, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole. I've got to stop looking at Wikipedia yeah, right now. Yep. Yeah, I, I invite you to do it because it's really cool, but maybe not during the recording. <laughs> yep. So you were talking about cooking, right? Yes, Sometimes you, they will you, be modified they, in the they lab. They will be heated and yeah. modified in the lab. And it's also very common, for example, to take mineral specimens and to grind a point onto them so that they look like a, a quartz crystal. Mm-hmm. The natural cleavage pattern of a quartz crystal actually does lead to those beautiful faceted points mm -hmm. that we're familiar with, but people will take like a piece of topaz or a piece of aquamarine and they will grind a point onto it so that it looks more like what people think of as a crystal. Right. So if you want something that reflects the, the, amazing nature of the natural world as it assembles these cool crystalline structures. You want something that hasn't been too, what's the word I'm looking for, compromised by those artificial processes to try to make it look a particular way so that you'll buy it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on what your, what your goal is though, right? If you're buying it just because you like the way it looks, right. but it might not really matter to you what the history of that is but if it's something that's it looks if it's important to you that it be a specific mineral that it be this specific history then you might not be getting that unless you know unless you trust who you're buying it from and the process that it was produced right. under right and speaking of rabbit holes if you really get into crystallography and you start looking at all the different geometric forms that different chemicals will take when they form crystals. That is, <laughs> that is this unbelievable, cool world. I mean, when, when you think about it, water creates crystals in six sided, highly intricate crystal forms that we call snowflakes, right? Halite, which is salt forms in cubes. Sometimes the cubes are kind of skewed like a parallelogram but they're still basically just, you know, 
six-sided figures. So one of the things that can be really very wonderful about exploring the world of rocks and minerals is actually, you know, digging into the ge geology itself, mm -hmm. you know, the stories of how these rocks came to us, you know, the ones that formed in, in pockets of, of air that were filled with hot liquid supercharged with minerals and then crystallized and then the water drained away leaving these geodes inside filled with crystals cracks that had hot fluid injected into them and then grew crystals out so that they created veins which is the way that many uh, metals and metal ores are laid down geology is a very fascinating set of topics and yeah. if if you really get into the rock world you can have a really good time there yeah. And there's a new field, um, which is geobiology, which looks at the overlap between mineralogy and biology and how those two things, we like to separate them into these two different, totally different categories, but they're not. There's right. this wonderful overlap. In, and on Earth, when we compare it to what we know about the other terrestrial planets, we have far more in terms of order of magnitude more mineral species than our sister planets do even though we're made from the same starting material because we've got life that's mucking around with the chemistry here and so there's right. just a, so there's so much that happens in both directions right so right. that's a that's a whole new field that's only started in the last you know 10 20 max years mm-hmm Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, when you think about it, limestone, for example, or chalk, mm -hmm. that is entirely deposition of the skeletons of living creatures. Yeah. Compressed down into sedimentary layers. It's nothing but that. That's all that it is. So you're talking about rock that has been constructed by the biosphere. Yeah. And all of those types of minerals that can only form in high oxygen environments or things that can only form in specifically acidic environments, all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, kind of a tangent, but geology, cool. Yes. Check it out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, very much so. So that's crystals and what we have to say about it. And I guess I'd like to click out a couple of layers now before we move on to other things like herbs and tools and bones and feathers and all the, the wonderful things that we like to use in our ritual practices because they create a particular ambiance, a particular aesthetic mm -hmm. feeling. And that's to talk about consumerism, right? which is an issue in the broader pagan community. Well, not just the pagan community, but well, that's one of the, the, the struggle, the challenges of our modern society today. Right. The commodification yeah. of everything, including spirituality. Yeah. Where it's like, in order to be really a, a good pagan, you have to dress a particular way or one of a, a, a small set mm -hmm. of particular ways. And you have to have particular kinds of ritual tools and... Not all of that is rooted in the I must have mm -hmm. ethos of capitalism. Right. You know, and not, not only I must have, but if I can afford it, I deserve to have. 
Yeah. I mean, we never even ask ourselves the question, you know, should, should this product even exist? Yeah. Not talking specifically about uh, like, here's, here's a good example in my mind, Botox. Should this product even exist? It is used as a treatment for a non-problem that culture tells mostly women that they have, which is they are aging, which Mm -hmm. is natural and normal. And then it is sold at considerable expense. It's derived from a poison and then sold at considerable expense and it wears off. So you have to use it again and all this kind of stuff, but nobody ever really asked the question, should this product exist? Mm -hmm. It was just assumed that if people would pay money for it, then the product should exist. And I go back to a very wise thing that morning glory Zell once said to me, she was uh, a friend of mine, a lover of mine, and just a dear, dear, dear person in my life. And I'm so sorry she's gone. But she once said to me, if you can't do it with a stick, you picked up on the way to the circle, you can't do it at all. Mm. And to me, that just speaks volumes about how you don't need expensive trappings. You don't need, 4,000 tarot decks. You don't need exotic feathers from South America and, you know, crystals from all over the world and all the, the many, many, many things that we tend to accumulate around ourselves as pagans, because we want to be able to create that, that feeling and then to carry it out with us into our ordinary lives. So I just encourage you Think about it. Think about, you know, it's one thing if you're buying something from an artist whose, you know, whose individual living is being made better mm-hmm. by their assembling something that looks very beautiful and they're doing it from materials that are not unethically sourced. That's right. one thing. Fine. You know, support that person. That's great. But it's another if you're just kind of, you know, ordering stuff from Amazon because you feel like you're supposed to have it. Yeah. You're, you're not supposed to have it. You don't have to have it. I have four wands. None of them was made by a person. Mm-hmm. One of them came from a redwood tree. One of them came from an oak tree, you know, and these are fallen branches, right? So yeah, from dead. One of them is an extruded piece of kelp that's dried into a a rod shape and the final one here i'm going to peer over and look at it now is a bone is a Mm. deer bone and all of those have very powerful associations for me and i use them in different ways when i do rituals but i didn't have to buy any of them and no nothing was harmed right you know no carbon was made transporting stuff from one part of the world to another part of the world in order to bring me this thing. And more and more, as I get older, I think that doing no harm is the very, the very least we can do. I mean, Mm -hmm. doing, you know, making things better, obviously is what's before us on the table. That's, that's the work. But at the very least we can 
reduce the harm that we do. Yeah. I think that's, that's very well said. And, and to, to build on that, I want to say that none of this is to try to make somebody feel guilty about what they have or about, you know, wanting to have the beautiful thing or something like that, but to encourage you that to think about, you know, whether you need it or not. And, and if you don't being okay with that, right, it's okay to not have the incredible velvet robes and the, this and the, that, and the, and like, like you were saying, Mark, yeah, you've got just a branch from a tree that meant something to you or a bone from an animal that meant something to you. And that, that works. Mm-hmm. Right. And that can be, that can be just as, if not far more meaningful than the thing that was purchased and the thing that was just part of the commodity chain. Right. Because when something is delivered to you as a part of the commodity chain, you have no story associated with it, right? Mm-hmm. The story is I gave them money, they gave me a thing. Yeah. Whereas when you make something for yourself or you find something or you you know buy something from What's a person a or it was a gift, you buy something from an individual person whose work you appreciate and you know something about them, then it brings a story. And the association of a story with an object is core to what we think of as charging a magical item right Mm -hmm. yeah because that's what it is it tells you a story when you see it or when you hold it in your hand it says i come from i come from the seychelles islands and i am a piece of volcanic rock that has sharp edges on it and lay on a beach for many years you know having those sharp edges rounded down so that now all these little pores make this wonderful sort of sponge-like uh, piece of stone. I just made that up. I don't have yeah. a piece of rock from the Seychelles. But anyway. But it sounded believable, right? It sounded like you were describing, you were looking at a particular rock and describing it. Sure. And if I did have a rock from the Seychelles and I had been to the Seychelles, then it would tell me stories about all of my experiences in that place and why it was magic to be there and, mm-hmm. you know, remind me of, of people that I knew that were there. And or the relationship uh, with the person who went there and brought it back to you and right. gave it to you over the coffee that you had or whatever. Yeah. Right. Right. So long story short, we just really encourage our listeners as we do ourselves to interrogate our capitalist assumptions because they're, they're, they're soaked into us. We can't help it. You know, we were, we were raised in this particular overculture, which we've talked about before. And asking questions and challenging assumptions is the way that we start to become more free. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about undermining a system which is destroying the earth and causing a tremendous amount of suffering. It's also about becoming more liberated ourselves, becoming more free. Mm-hmm. And that we want that for you and for ourselves. It's something we want for the world is for people to be more liberated and feel like they have more choices about what they do. Right. And to be, have that richer, more colorful life that isn't because of what you 
have, but because of what you do and experience. And the relationships you have. Right. Yes. Yeah. Including with the world itself, with the biosphere and the, all the various creatures that, that are a part of it. Mm-hmm. So that, that it's, it wasn't really a tangent, but it was sort of a long sojourn. Um, yeah. Well, that's so, the, the framework that we're going into talking about the rest of these items with. Yes, right? that's yeah. true. Yeah. So let's talk about herbs, which are somewhat different because many herbs do actually have medicinal qualities. Mm-hmm. Also, many herbs are claimed to have medicinal qualities that don't really. Also, many herbs are sprayed with a lot of stuff that you probably don't want to <laughs> actually be eating and may have been grown in a monoculture. You know, there's there's a lot of levels to it. So just like just like we were talking about with the crystals, you want to be really mindful and aware of the story of what it is that you're that you're right. um, using. The good news about herbs is that you can grow your own. And then yeah. you know what condition they were grown in. And you have a personal relationship with the plant because you fostered it. You helped for it to grow. Mm-hmm. I don't find that I use a lot of different herbs in my work, mm-hmm. but I've got, you know, the reliable ones, the rosemary and the thyme and the sage and the sweet grass, which doesn't actually grow locally where I am, but it smells so beautiful when it burns. And I mostly use them in the manner of an incense because I, but the other thing that you can do rather than burning them is just to heat them. And they will still make this beautiful scent as the, the essential oils in the herb evaporate and go into the into the air column right and some uh, of them you can you can simmer in water and do like the like put it on the stove top and you'll get that beautiful smell mm-hmm. some of them that does not work out for so you got to kind of experiment with that don't do that with pepper <laughs> i i have bad experience just of cooking things with a lot of chili flakes mm-hmm. or a lot of black pepper mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, you basically create tear gas uh, it's not yeah. very good <laughs> So once again, common sense, right? Yeah. There's a little bit of common sense in there, but yeah. But there is something very wonderful about having bundles of dried herbs hanging around your kitchen. There's something about it that's evocative of that archetypal hovel of the wise woman in the woods, you know, who has a plant for everything, right? Who, who knows the lore of the plants. And I'm not, not a thoroughly versed lore of the plants kind of person, but I know people who are in our community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a wonderful path to pursue. Now, I stop at the point where we start talking about the energies of plants that are magically going to influence right. something or other that are going to bring luck or money or relationships or those kinds of things, because I don't believe that stuff. Mm-hmm. But certainly you know, elderberry cough syrup works pretty well when you got a cough and rosemary or mint or a combination of the two. If you steam them and breathe the steam, when you're all congested, your nose will clear up. Yeah. These are compounds that really work. Yeah. And, you know, they smell beautiful. The, the plants have fascinating histories mm-hmm. of how they've been used or transported or transplanted around the world. So, that's that's kind of my take on on the herbal thing. 
I can't speak to whether a particular plant has a medicinal power or not, mm-hmm. because I'm not an expert in that way. But we're, we're talking about things now from the standpoint of their, their ritual qualities or their so-called magical qualities rather than their, their literal qualities. And just, just the aesthetic presence of those bundles of herbs you know, it, it really can make a big difference. I mean, in the Southwest, you see people with chili peppers. Um, yeah, there, the there, there's some outside our door. Yep. We're almost out though. Uh, because you're actually supposed to be eating most of those. Right, people of hang it for decoration, but they're dried so that you can break it off and you can put it in with your food. But yeah. So are um, you going to make it to the next harvest? No, <laughs> no uh, we will not. No, we're out uh, almost, but maybe we'll we're in the new house now so and this will be our a full year so we'll be growing a lot more of, uh, of our own stuff this year but but we do you know with, we have a lot of herbs in the house and it's a lot of them are more just based on smell and association right i know that there's that there are medicinal properties of certain things but a lot of them i think you know there's probably something in chamomile and lavender, which chemically mm-hmm. interacts with our bodies in a certain way. But I just associate that with calm down, relax, mm-hmm. just, oh, this is wonderful. Have the warm cup of tea or the smell or the, and because we use them that way intentionally, then it immediately brings us back to that right. sense. Right. Right. Yeah, and and I, I agree with you about chamomile, particularly because I have a very strong association of chamomile as being very calming as well. And I don't know how much of that is just sort of the reputation mm-hmm. and how much of it is an actual chemical interaction with my body and how much of it is it just that the flavor of chamomile is so subtle. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's it's not like beer or wine or you know something that really just makes a huge explosion in your mouth right it's this very very subtle flavor so you kind of have to slow down and pay attention or it'll just seem like hot water yeah in order to taste it you it forces you to slow down which is part of what's lovely about the herb so there okay Yes, I'm um, sorry. I, I saw you stutter there for a second as well. So I think we lost connection for a second. So by all means, you know, explore the world of plants. It's, it's a fascinating world. And especially if you can grow some, even yeah. if it's just, um, and sometimes this is wonderful, but it, if there's just as a south facing or north if you're in the southern hemisphere a sun facing window and just a few little pots yeah just just a couple little pots and you can grow you know you can grow your your thyme you know there's nothing like fresh thyme Mm -hmm. it really it it doesn't dry well honestly i mean however freshly you get your dried thyme fresh thyme is just so much more powerful and it there's some basil and basil of course yeah there's just something about about fresh basil and it's yeah. so expensive if you buy it it's oh if you terrible. buy it by the bundle oh it's well, if terrible. you want if yeah. you buy fresh basil i mean i know you can get like the, the the dried stuff but if you go to the grocery store and you buy like a few little sprigs 
I mean, you're paying at least where I am like five bucks for something that's like the length of your hand and that's it. Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah, we definitely have our basil plant in the kitchen. Yeah. And um, one of the things that's really lovely about that is that the minute that you start picking leaves off of a plant and throwing them into a cooking pot, you're doing witchery. (laughs) <laughs> you absolutely are. There's just there's something about it, you know, about drawing from the wild and and putting in drawing from from the biosphere, from life and mixing something into your your pot of food. There's just something that's very magical about it. And you can do it with intention. And then you're adding that layer into your cooking. Right. So and then as you take the bite, let's say you're doing basil right? When you take that bite, you can intend, you can remember that intention each time you take that bite, right? So you did it as you were cooking and then as it was going into your body. Right. And over time, that will build an association between that taste and a particular feeling, Mm -hmm. a feeling of being well-nourished and taken care of at home for example. And those are powerful things because if you really need that, if you're far from home in a sterile hotel room, going to a conference Mm -hmm. and you suddenly feel like you're ungrounded and wondering why the hell you went to this thing and how you're going to manage to do your presentation tomorrow. If you brought a little bottle of basil leaves with you Mm -hmm. and you can take a nice sniff of that, maybe that brings you back home. Maybe that, maybe that reestablishes that sense of solidity inside yourself. Right. Or if you needed to be at the hospital for some reason. Right. Right. That's this time that you really want to be just present and grounded and in your, because you're probably, why ever you're at the hospital, unless maybe it's for a birth, right. But in most other cases, it's a tricky time. Like you're usually not very happy to be there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about these things in the context of how you can use them in your so-called spicy psychology. You know, the, what Sedna Wu called a little, adding a little razzle dazzle to the, the things that you do in life so that you can be more effective. You can be happier. You can be more focused. You can be more calm, push away anxiety, rise up from depression, all of those things. And those are real effects. You know, we've been talking a lot this episode about how, you know, crystals don't really have magical properties and so forth. But the effects that we're talking about when we talk about ritual work are real effects. They, They affect your consciousness. And that means that they affect your life. Right. So we were gonna finish by talking about some ways that you can go about charging magical stuff. Mm-hmm. So let's say you got yourself a beautiful rock specimen. Doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be a crystal. It could be, I don't know, one of those lumps of native copper, beautiful mm-hmm. things. There are all these strange sort of configurations of, of copper that you find them in the desert sometimes, whatever it is. Or what maybe your you- business crystal. Oh, those, cool. those, those are, those. yeah, <laughs> really cool. Yeah. I have a couple of them. Yeah. So first of all, 
again, our take is that you're not actually taking some sort of magical power and storing it inside of that object. But what you're working on is your relationship with that object, your your immediate association, that association, that relationship that's underneath that thinky part, the thing that you're going to experience instantly, right? Right. Which, when you think about it, is kind of like charging something it's like it's like storing it's like storing a particular quality like a battery Mm -hmm. so that when you take that object out or you hold it or you put it in your pocket or whatever it is you can feel some of that quality leaking out metaphorically speaking and instilling you with that quality right i won't say who this is but i have a friend who has a stone sex toy that she has lots and lots of very pleasurable associations with. Sure. Yeah, because that's what it's for. Mm-hmm. And so she brings that with her to conferences, not because she's going to use it, but because it just kind of brings happiness with her. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, I'm putting happiness in my suitcase. So right. I'm, I'm going to tote it along and it's mm-hmm. going to keep me happy. So I think that's very cool. Right. So that would have been something that was that was just kind of built naturally, right? That association. Yeah. But, but you can also do that very intentionally in ritual, right? Mm-hmm. You can you can plan a ritual, you can sit down or go into your sacred space or whatever, however you're going to structure that, and, and try to bring whatever that is with you, right? If this is going to be something that say you're working on the the feeling of comfort and relaxation right Mm -hmm. so do a bunch of things that's going to get you into that state right Right. do you know are there songs that get you there really quickly or certain smells or you know do you want to put on your your fluffy slippers and your bathrobe or whatever it is right and have that object with you right and start to you know if you're a wordsy person then you know maybe talk to it or Mm -hmm. you know what other things do you think of mark well in in terms of talking to it to start with i mean you can literally say to it i am now putting comfort into you Mm -hmm. i am pouring that cuddly feeling of being on a winter's morning under enough blankets where everything feels warm right down to the tip of your toes and that is going into this stone it's going into it and it's staying in it. And that's what's going to be there. Every time I pick up this stone, I'm going to feel cozy and safe and taken care of. Say you have an issue with consistency that you, and you know, this is a thing for folks like me who have ADHD. It's just, it can be very, very difficult to be consistent. And it's taken me a long time to develop the kinds of systems that I need for constantly reminding myself of things so that I can do what I've said I'm going to do. One way you can do that is if you have a daily practice, incorporate the charging of this object into your daily practice so that you are being consistent Mm -hmm. in putting this consistency into your <laughs> object, right? So if it's it's double you know, helpful, then right, right. So because you a, practice the consistency, and then you have the thing that associate you associate with consistency, right? And what you've done is you've proved to yourself that you can be consistent, and it doesn't have to be a hundred percent. You know that's 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 not how things work. You know it's 
yeah the 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 idea of perfection is like the idea of virginity they don't exist they're made up mm-hmm. they're made up ideas they're made up to shame people into into yes. behaving or into obeying obe- into obedience exactly yeah that, that's not a real thing a real thing is being more consistent right being more consistent than you were otherwise if you miss a day of your daily practice go back to it the next day that's fine mm-hmm. but you do that for two weeks, and now you have an object which has a, a story behind it. I did this ritual for two weeks, you know, where I was putting consistency of, of action into this object, into, you know, whatever it is, a feather wand or a, a stone or a bundle of herbs that you might want to burn so that <laughs> at a time when you really need to be consistent. And you've demonstrated that you can be consistent in the course of doing that. So think creatively about how these rituals can go. You know, the best way to develop an association between an object and an experience is to have that object with you while you're doing the experience. Right. So whatever it is you're looking for, if you're looking to, you know, goose up your love life, well, you know, have that on your bedside table. If you're looking to increase your capacity for focus, maybe on your work desk or someplace where you really have to pay close attention. Right. Or gratitude on the table or, you know. Great one. Yeah. yeah. Great one. Yeah. So I, I guess sort of to summarize what I would say is we're not saying that there aren't magical things. But what we mean by a magical thing is different than what a lot of people in the broader pagan community mean. We We don't mean that there is some ethereal quality radiating out from a particular kind of crystal that causes your liver to work better or something like that. What we mean is you can come to associate an object and pick the object that you think is a fitting one, right? When it comes to being focused and precise, a really sharp-edged, perfect quartz crystal might be the right object for you to use for that Mm -hmm. because it has its own kind of precision and perfection. Yeah. So we can come to ritually imbue these objects with a kind of a power to speak to us, a narrative to speak to us. And... In doing so, we can enhance our lives, we can enhance our ritual practices, and we can be happier, more effective people, which, of course, is, as we say so often, that's the goal, happier, more effective, make a better world. So do we have anything else, Yaka? You know, I think that this is a good place to wrap up. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. I think that we covered quite a bit here and, and really, you know, cover the points that we wanted to about starting with talking a little bit about the consumerism part of it. And, you know, what's really the function of these and what does it mean for it to actually be magical and those relationships. And so we've, we've gone through quite a bit, actually. Yeah. With a few tangents here and there. Little right. Branches growing out. Rocks. Check them yes. out. Yes. Go down, go down that, that uh, Wikipedia rabbit hole. So, 
Well, well great. You, yeah, thank you so much, Yucca. It's been a pleasure as always. And boy, we are sure getting close to Sun Tree Retreat. It's yes. six weeks away, seven weeks away, something like that. That is, yep. It's just around the corner. It really is. I mean, I don't know how it is for you, but the, the last couple of days has been pretending to be spring here. It, we will get a few more freezes, but it's just making it seem like, oh, well, this retreat's happening in the spring, right? It's spring. So is it now? Can we go yet? Can we go? <laughs> we just had all the wisteria growing on our back fence bloom. Ooh. And it's so it's beautiful and it smells so good. And oh, I love that. Spring, spring is really happening here. Oh, the, wonderful. The trees are leafing out and it's just really, really going on. Yeah. So happy spring to all of our listeners, except the ones south of the equator. Yes. Um, and happy. <laughs> in which case, happy fall. Happy okay. autumn. Oh, one more thing. My daughter came up with a holiday and it is snake celebration day. And so Ooh. we need to draw pictures of snakes or make little models of them. And when we see the first snake out, that gets to be snake celebration day. Okay. But we have to, we have to prepare ahead of time, have everything ready to put up so that, you know, because we oh, don't know so which you, day it's going to be. So you draw the pictures and make the models in advance. Yes. And then we can put them up the day that is snake celebration day. That sounds like a great holiday. Yes. So. <laughs> All right. I'll Very let you know cool. when it happens. <laughs> All right. Cool. Please so. do. And well, a pleasure as always. Thanks, Mark. Have a great week, everybody.